Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. And this is uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish Christians. And this is a unique book in the sense that the people that are receiving the letter are not brand new Christians, so to speak. They are religious people who've grown up in a system and a culture that is permeated by the law and by uh, the religious system and in that whole world. So they're familiar with it, but because of the revolution that Jesus started, they all discovered that this guy Jesus is the real deal. He's the Messiah, the Savior that they had been waiting for. Because for thousands of years, the Jewish people were waiting for the prophesied person to come because the Old Testament had prophesied that this Messiah, this Savior of the world, was going to come and redeem the people from all of their misdeeds and their sins and their issues and all of their failures. He was once and for all going to come and fix it all. So they're waiting for this guy. They don't know who it is. Jesus comes onto the scene. And a lot of the Jewish people resisted him, but a lot of them said, he's the guy we've been waiting for. So there's all of these Jewish people that have converted now to Christianity. So they're Jewish Christians. There's still people that have grown up in this system, but they've now identified their Savior as the guy that they're following. So it's now no longer the law, but Jesus, who was the embodiment or the fulfillment, the extent of the law. He himself was it. Are you tracking with me? So people who were religious before find that Jesus is the source of it all, start to worship him, but through trials and issues and failures and culture and pressure and all of these struggles, they were starting to want to go back to the old way because the old way was easier. You ever decided to follow Jesus or take a step forward and then you realize that every step you take forward makes life more difficult and you just want to go back to easy? I, I never for one day regretted having my kids, but it was easier without them. <laughs> I don't, like, I promise, I really do love my kids, but man, sleep was great before kids. And man, we could come home, take a nap at 6 o'clock, Look at each other at 9.30, say, let's go get happy hour, and drive to downtown Seattle, because why not? We don't have kids. Not anymore. <laughs> Hayden comes into the room this morning, bright and early, saying it's Christmas time, and she wants me to go into the garage, get the Christmas tree out of the box, set it up, and then we can watch Santa Paws together. I mean, I'm not kidding you. This morning, I want to watch Santa Paws and get the Christmas tree, because we got a fake one, out of the box and set it up because today is Christmas. Because she had had a dream in the middle of the night that it was Christmas. And I'm like, no. And then, then you know, all, all heck broke, broke loose. Sorry. I just wanted to say that. Christianese. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> that was funny to, like, two people. So, but the writer of Hebrews is writing to these people and he's challenging while also encouraging them to not lose heart, to not give up. And he's reminding them, like I might try to remind you tonight, 
of the very thing that made you say yes to Jesus in the first place. Because if we're not careful, it's very easy to forget. It's very easy to forget that moment that changed everything. It's very easy to forget that word you got from at camp. It's very easy to forget the encouragement that that leader said to you that, that encouraged and challenged you and spoke vision and life and purpose into you. It's very easy to forget who you used to be before you failed one too many times. And it's very easy to look at your failure and say, this is who I am now. So it's very easy for us to forget, though we've been there, experienced a real thing. It's easy to look at that and forget as we get further and further away from what was. And we look, man, this is harder than I thought. Maybe I was never right. Maybe I, maybe I was making it up. Maybe it was the emotion of the moment. Maybe it was just the camp high. Maybe it was just all those people also lifting their hands and it just made me feel compelled to. And, and maybe it was, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe God was actually speaking to you. Maybe God can work in any kind of environment and get through to the soul of your heart, right in the depths of it, and say, I have a word for you. I have a future and a vision and a plan and a purpose for you. But it's very easy in those moments when we feel tension and pressure to give in and say, maybe I was wrong the whole time. No, you weren't. God was real. God is for you, and he's still speaking. But we've got to soften our hearts and remember what first won us over. So Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. The writer here says, See to it, brothers and sisters. I still got the taste in my mouth. Gosh. You're my enemies making me do that to win. It's my fault. What am I saying? See to it, brothers and sisters. Pause here. When, when someone addresses you as family, you ought to listen through a, a lens of family, not instructor. So when they're saying brothers and sisters, they're saying we're on the same playing field. So I'm speaking to you not as authority, I'm speaking to you as family tonight. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, in other words, you're not going to have a lot of days ahead, so you've got to make the most of it. Today, so, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share, I love that, share in Christ if we indeed hold to our original conviction firmly to the end. And as, and has, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. A quick history with that. The people of God who he's writing to, the, the Jewish people who'd been in the religious system for a long time, years and years, decades, uh, centuries, millennia before, had been freed by God from Egypt. They were under Egypt's uh, oppression and rule for hundreds of years. And God was like, I don't like it when my people are stuck. I don't like it when they're abused. I don't like it when they're marginalized. I don't like it when they're manipulated. I don't like it when they're enslaved. And so the Israelite people were enslaved by the people of Egypt. And so God looks at them and he says, I don't want this to happen anymore. And if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, the cartoon movie, you watched it unfold, okay? It's the ten plagues and all this kind of stuff. God uses all of these different miracles to free 
the people from Egypt. And it was miraculous. It was only to be explained by God did this. It was crazy. So God, using Moses, leads the people out of Egypt and toward the promised land. Now, there were some one to two million people, potentially, maybe even more, that through a long period of time were supposed to get to the promised land, which should have taken one to two years with that many people overnight, staying healthy, all that kind of stuff. But what would actually happen over time, if you read it, took 40 years for them to get to the promised land. So long that none of the first original generation was ever able to see the land that was promised to them. But what it said is that they had hardened their hearts. God did so many miracles. He, he does miracles bringing them out of Egypt. Then he does miracles day after day. Gives them a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and manna. And he gives them this food and he keeps them sustained. But it wasn't as comfortable as they liked. And at least in Egypt, they got three square meals. And at least in Egypt, life was predictable. And at least in Egypt, they knew where they were going to sleep at night. And so they're looking at God and saying, you know what, God? Yeah, you brought us out of there, but man, this sucks. I want to go back to the, maybe it wasn't even God in the first place. Maybe we should worship these other idols. Maybe we should, get, you know, get back at Moses. He's a jerk. Why did he ever take us out of here? And, and they start to harden their hearts, and over time, the voice of God becomes more distant, and the work of God becomes, it's like it's, it's, it's hitting a duck's back. It's hitting and it's just rolling over because they've become so hardened against what God was trying to do. And what, what the writer of Hebrews now in the New Testament is saying to the people of God who have that heritage in them, he says, make sure that you don't do what your parents' generation did. Make sure you don't do what the people that long ago that they did. Man, God freed them. God did miracles. God spoke. God did amazing, miraculous things but don't be the kind of person that because it's not easy, because it doesn't look like how you thought it would look, that you begin to harden your heart toward God. I want to speak tonight on this idea, under pressure, as we conclude this, soften your heart. Soften your heart. If you're taking notes, you can write down, soften your heart. So let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes with me, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And I would encourage you, if you've never done this before, uh, that you too would close your eyes. Maybe you don't even believe in God. I would invite you to close your eyes too. And in this moment, in a moment of sincerity, say, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? God, I feel distant. God, I feel uh, tired. I feel worn out. Whatever it might be for you, tell God right now where you're at. And say, God, this is just where I'm at. You might even say, God, I'm pissed off at you. God's God, he's got some thick skin. He can handle it. But God, right here where I'm at, I'm inviting you into the, the mess that is me, saying I'm, I'm giving you permission to do what you, you might be able to do. And so, God, we, we collectively say, would you speak to us tonight? We want to leave different. We want to leave encouraged. We want to leave challenged. We want to leave better than when we came. So would you be with us? Would you speak to us? And we, we say we'll open our hearts that we might receive the seed that you would plant tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said Come on, everyone set. Uh, how many of you would consider yourself um, a stubborn person? Any, any stubborn people? Any, any of you who are just not stubborn, you're like, you're so good all the time. <laughs> That's true, Ethan. Ethan's like, I mean, I said it earlier and it is now confirmed. Ethan is literally perfect. 
He's like, what, what do you want to do? Whatever you want to do, I love you. <laughs> I, if, if I was on the fence, I would fall over on the, the stubborn side. I, uh, for years early in our marriage, Noelle, Noelle um, emotionally beat me down until eventually I caved and we got a dog. And uh, little backstory, for years, even before we were married, Noelle, Noelle was talking to me about dogs, and she wanted a dog, and she always wanted a dog. And she'd grown up as a cat person. Cat people are weird, and I'm allergic to cats, and so that was obviously off the table. And so, and so she's like, we got to get a dog, and I'm like, no. And, and there was no budging me at all. And so I'm not even going to cave. I'm not into it. I'm not open to it. I don't care. I don't. I, puppies are cute, I'm fine with it, but I don't care, I just don't want a dog, we didn't grow up as dog people, and the dog that we eventually got, that Cameron, was Cameron's dog when he was 11 years old, he was a dumb dog, he eventually got eaten by other animals, it was his fault, so, and so, so Noelle, Noelle's just, she's just saying, Taylor, we gotta get a dog, Taylor, we gotta get a dog, it was mean, and it was true, I'm sorry, we love him though, we really did love him, and so, so she's, she's just, pushing on this, but I'm just, it's like, I don't even, this is not, I'm not feeling any pressure. I don't care. I literally don't care. I don't want to get a dog. So she launches a covert operation, and my good friend Ryan, he, he was visiting from Portland, and, and through the series of events, she got us to go to the, Par the Fairwood Pet Center, where we would pet puppies. And it wasn't a, hey, maybe you'll get a dog if. It was just like, let's go to the Fairwood Pet Center and pet puppies. Ryan likes dogs, right, Ryan? And Ryan was somehow obviously in on it. And so we go to pet puppies. And we're petting all these puppies. And then there's this one who would eventually be named Gibby. And he was tiny. And if you've seen him now, he's just, he's ugly. He's ungroomed. And he is just, he's just a lump of wasted mass. But he was cute as a kid. Josie, you remember. And so he was cute as a kid, as a puppy. He's this tiny little fluff ball, and he's got the brown spots everywhere, way bigger than it is now, and he was just so cute. And he had a pink belly, and he's just a few weeks old, and so we're holding him, and I got to be honest, something happened in my heart. And I didn't even know that what was happening is she was planting a virus in me that would eventually lead to me shutting down and getting this dog. And it's funny because I, you, you might have heard the story before. We eventually go back some days or weeks later when he was old enough and we buy, we buy Gibby and I'm sitting in the car waiting and she comes out empty handed having returned Gibby, got in, gotten a refund for the purchase and saying I chickened out. Let's not get the dog. I said, if we pull away, we're not getting this dog. Next morning, we come back. And uh, I, had, I had already in my heart gone there. We go back and we get Gibby. His original name would have been Dinosaur. But, uh, but Gibby came to me in the car on the way home. And, uh, and it's funny, though, because a lot of times when we get closed off to things, we get shut off to things, what, it ha what happens is we need to take it needs to be this process and work and pressure to cause us to become 
opened up to it. Like, I remember I wanted to see the movie Air Force One in seventh grade. It was a rated R movie with Harrison Ford. Nobody here has seen it. Thank you, Tyler. You have not, Emma. What's it about? You don't even know. In Air Force One, it's a movie about Harrison Ford. He's the president of the United States. Air Force One gets hijacked, and he turns into, like, Jack Bauer, and he destroys the place, and everyone lives. And, uh, but I remember asking my dad, and me and my, my middle brother, Shelby, we, we wanted to see it, and so we're asking my dad, Dad, can we see Air Force One? And he's like, no, it's rated R, you can't see it. And so, so what happened is when the movie came out, uh, we wanted to rent it. And so we went, we went and got the movie. We borrowed it, actually, from a friend. And then what we did was we, we planted it in the house. And then what we, we, we looked up on, on the Internet, and we found what was bad in the movie. And it turns out it was just violence. There was one F word, and that was about it. Now, I'm not condoning the F word. I'm not condoning violence. I'm just saying... You know, usually when you're a middle schooler, what your parents don't want you watching is other stuff. So, and so, so I'm like, we go to my dad, we're like, Dad, guess what? Air Force One should be rated PG-13. It's rated R just because of one F word. And he's like, really? Okay, but I have to watch it with you. So we get to watch Air Force One, and I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest movies of all time until eighth grade when I saw better movies. But it was so good. And what happens is, when, our, when, when someone's heart is closed, it takes work to dig past the surface to plant the seed that will eventually bear fruit. The writer here says, don't have an unbelieving heart that turns away from God. And then he goes on eventually to say, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That word hardened heart, an unbelieving heart, that literally means to be calloused because of pressure or fiction, friction. To be calloused because of pressure or friction, largely unaffected, in this case, by the touch and the voice of God. To be calloused because of pressure. To be unaffected by the touch of God. When you think of that idea of callous, it's kind of this almost like an archaeological tone. I, I, I remember when I was, uh, when we moved into our current house, uh, the, the, we, we'd never really had a big yard before, and it was pretty basic. And uh, so when we got to our new house, the previous owners had really not taken care of the yard. So there were large spots all over the, all over the yard that uh, were supposed to be grass, but it was just blank, hard dirt. And so... So I remember the first thing that I do is, I mean, I'm, I'm there the day we move in, and I'm watering that area. I get it really wet, and I, I just, I lather it with seeds. I put seeds all over, grass seed. And then I took, I took some peat moss and some lawn soil, or some grass soil, and I put it over the top of it, and I just watered it like crazy. And day after day after day after day, I would water it, overwater it. And day after day, I would see no results. And I kept getting frustrated. Because I planted the seed, I had the soil, and I watered it faithfully. It was getting sun, it was getting shade, it was getting everything that it needed. But for whatever reason, the seed was not taking root and it was not growing. And so I remember I called my dad, I was like, Dad, what's going on here? 
He's like, well, how's your soil? I mean, have you been watering? I was like, yeah, I've been watering. I planted. I put, I, I, you know, I put lawn soil a lot down, like you said, and it's not working. He's like, well, how was the soil at first? I said, well, it was, it was pretty tough, but I made sure to put plenty of, of the, the soil over the top. He's like, no, what you've got to do is you've got to till the soil. You have to loosen it up. Because in order for the seed to take root, it's, you've got to free up the space underneath the, the hard surface so that when it gets it down in there, that there's air and there's moisture that can get to the seed, cause it to germinate and take root so that eventually the grass would grow out of the surface. And so what I had to do is I had to spend hours, <clears throat> I'd spend hours out on my lawn with, with all sorts of tools, digging up the surface, loosening it up, getting it ready so that when I would plant the seeds and I would water it and fertilize it, that it would be easily able to grow. And though it takes, took some time on the front end, the, the fr most frustrating thing is, and the day will come when you own a house and you have, you have a yard and you got to till your soil, it's the most, it is the most unsatisfying thing because you spend so much time doing it and then you get to this place when you're done doing it and there's still no grass. And this is how spiritual life works, is you will spend a lot of time in preparation on the front end to not see results. And when you don't see results, it's easy to give up right now, right where you're at, but you don't realize that what you were doing is preparing yourself so that when the voice of God speaks, plants the seed, that it would have a place to take root. And a lot of us are confusing it. We're saying, we want God to just come and plant the fruit. No, he plants the seed. But if your soil is not ready, the seed will not have a place to take root. So what God is saying is you need to back up, give me some time to break you and get you to the place where when the seed comes, it has a place to take root. I want you to write this down. Write down, I am the ground. Write down, I am the ground. And then write this down. The voice of God is the seed. So you and me, we are the ground. The voice of God, when God speaks, his word, his presence, it's the seed. But the pressures of life, failure, mistakes, um, sin, hardship, disappointment, what they do is they harden the soil. So pressure hardens the soil. The work of God in you, when you allow God to, is what can loosen your soil so that the seed can produce fruit. How many of you want the seed of God's voice to plant a seed in your life and cause fruit to grow from it? Come on, how many of you want to see the fruit in your life? How many of you want to stay angry? How many of you want to live a life that is bitter and you blame everybody else for your mishaps? I don't want to, but a lot of times what we do Hey, look, 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 don't blame God. When you get all these seeds planted on your hard soil and you spend all your time watering it with worship and watering it with church, but you wonder why it's not taking root because you won't deal with anger on the inside of your heart. Because until you're willing to deal with the root, you will not see it plant fruit in your life. So you and I have to be willing... To allow God, over a process of time, friends, to loosen the soil, because when he speaks, oh my gosh, it, the, the most amazing thing to happen is when you finally get the soil, which takes work, 
to the right place, it's not very long that the seed starts to take root and plant beautiful grass. And I'm telling you, God has some beautiful things he wants to bring out of your life. But he's not going to do it until, until you allow your soil to be loosened up. I want to give you three quick thoughts, and we're going to worship. Three quick thoughts on, on how to soften the soil of, of your heart. Number one is you got to dig in. When I say dig in, what I'm referring to is to till the soil. You've got to till the soil. He says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. That's a side note. Make sure that you've got people in your world that are encouraging you because that's the very thing that will till your soil. Get in there and give you the, 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 the fertilizer and the sun and the loosening and the moisture that you need. And if you don't have people encouraging you, you don't have the very thing that's going to cause your seed to germinate. You've got to get some people in your corner that are encouraging you. And you got to be the kind of person, you better be encouraging your friends. If all you're ever doing is pushing them down, if all you're ever doing is being sarcastic, if all you're ever doing is just doing your thing and you're never looking to better the people around you, then you might be a bad friend. And the writer of Hebrews says it multiple times throughout this letter. you got to keep encouraging each other because this is a difficult journey. And if you don't encourage each other, then you'll all fail because we cannot do this by ourselves. Dig into the soil. Tilling, that word till means to break up the soil, to loosen what has been hardened over time. And this is difficult. This is the hardest step because it takes process. It takes process. It was, it was, uh, it was frustrating to have to spend hours out in my lawn Tilling this one big spot. But I'm so thankful that I did it. I got a whole patch in my backyard that I get to get to next. Because Hayden's old playset was sitting on it for years. Because when things are on you that aren't supposed to be on you, they wear you out. And I'm telling you, there will be times in your future where you've got to retill what right now is green. Ronnie Doss, he was here a couple weeks ago, and he told a story. I can't remember where it was. It might have been at the men's retreat. He's talking to a lady, and she says, I've been married five different times to the same man. Five different times to the same man. And she said, we never divorced. We never broke up. But there have been five seasons of our lives where we had to start from scratch again and learn a new level of who we were. And this is the nature of spiritual journey, friends. I'm telling you, some of you are so hard to God, and God has so many good things that he's saying to you, but every time you look at your phone, you're saying, screw you, God, I am good, just plant the seed, and hopefully it will grow. But I'm telling you, that seed will land, and it will never produce a fruit in your life. And it's not because God's not speaking, it's not because there's not soil in you, it's not because there's not potential in you, but it's because you're not allowing the process to till you and get you ready to receive what God wants to do for you. So every time you look at your phone when somebody's talking, every time you say no to God, every time you give in to that thing, what you're saying is, I want to stay where I am, but I want fruit by some sort of osmosis to just automatically happen. And God is saying, I'm going to break you. And it's going to hurt. 
It is going to be painful. You will not like it at times, but I'm telling you, it will produce fruit and fruit that remains, and you will be thankful for the brokenness in your life because it produced fruit. It is not the ease in your life that will produce fruit. It's the broken times. It's the pain. It's the suffering. It's the difficulty. It's the times where you failed and you thought that God was done with you. And it was no, God was just digging deeper into you to say, I've got a deeper work I want to do. And this root has got to go deep for this tree to grow tall. You've got to till the soil. This means allowing God to break up what you've always known. Close your eyes for a second. We're going to wrap up real quick here. What have you always known that God might try to break up? Because it begins with admitting, and this is the key, this is the key, this is what you have to walk away with tonight, is it might for you begin with admitting something that you've never even admitted to yourself is underneath your surface. Anger. Resentment, judgmental attitudes, lust, it's fear, it's anxiety, self-hatred. That's a big one, isn't it? You may not say that you hate yourself, but you talk to yourself like you hate yourself. And you've been teaching yourself to not admit what you know to be true. And the ground all the while gets harder and harder and more resistant to the voice of God. You can open your eyes. See, when your soil is packed with jealousy, you know what happens? Is vision and opportunity can't can't take root. And when your soil is packed with self-hatred, God's love can't take root. Some of you hate yourselves so bad. And God is saying, I don't hate you. I do a pretty good job creating stuff. I, like, created the earth and the galaxies And aliens, they're probably out there somewhere. (laughs) Man, and his prized possession is you and me. It's humankind created in the image of God. And we speak against ourselves as if we were created by Satan. But God is here to tell you, I created you with purpose and I love you. But until you get rid of the self-hatred, the love of God and the grace of God and the work of God and the purpose of God cannot take root. Some of you, even right now, every time somebody brings this up, it makes you vulnerable. So you you create some sort of moment to try and deflect it because you can't imagine. You can't imagine how God's love would actually be designed for you. Every time I used to almost cry in a movie, I would think of my grandparents making out. Don't worry, you don't know my grandparents. There's nothing for you to picture except for your own grandparents making out. (laughs) But here's what you do. Here's what you do. Let me draw the correlation before I lose you all. Here's what happens. Listen, 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 listen. Here's what happens. Is God tries to speak, so you try and distract yourself with something that takes your focus on what he's trying to say to you. So God is trying to speak to you and speak to your heart and speak to your purpose. And so what do you do? You look at your phone. You look at the person next to you. You start to look at something that is no good for your soul. And you start to change your focus because you know 
that if you look at what God is saying, it's going to be vulnerable and it might even be painful. So every time there's a moment where God is speaking to you through a person, through a message, through a song, you start to, I mean, I've, I've seen it time after time. I mean, I, I've seen it literally where I'll see people walk out like they're going to go to the bathroom. I remember one time I'm, I, I see someone and I, I knew that God was trying to get at them and they go to the bathroom and they're just standing in there. And I follow them in there. And uh, I'm like, bro, what are you doing? And eventually we, we, we talk for a minute. He's like, dude, I just, every time that song comes on, it's just hard for me. And what was happening is he was training himself to resist the voice of God. And every time his, his, his soil got harder and harder. So every time the rain of God would come, every time the fertilizer of God's presence would come, it did no good. Not because there wasn't soil, not because God wasn't speaking, but simply because the ground had been hardened over time. And so I'm encouraging, I'm not trying to beat you down, I'm trying to encourage you, if you would sit up and listen and open yourself to God, he would speak something to you that would change the trajectory of your life from here on forward for the rest of your eternity. God actually has things he wants to do and say to you. You've got to open yourself up to it. Tilling the soil looks like admitting your struggle, but then giving God permission and access to it. Number two, that's the, that's the second point, is you've got to expo- expose it. You've got to expose it. You're, you, it's like aerating the soil. And sometimes you've got to loosen it up, but sometimes you've got to aerate your soil. It says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And what's the, when you aerate it, what it looks like is you're introducing air to the hidden areas of the soil. You're introducing air to the hidden areas of the soil. Because what happens is when soil is hardened, hard rains can come, harsh sun can come, uh, high foot traffic, all sorts of climate. We had a brutal winter. Um, all of those things cause the soil to get hardened, and what they'll do is it'll, it'll all cluster together, and it will be like this large rock, but it's all just a bunch of dirt particles that have bonded together. So when you aerate the soil, you poke little holes into there, so when you plant the seed and you water it, the water doesn't stay on the surface, but it's able to make its way down into the holes and get access to the places that were otherwise hidden. Are you seeing the correlation in your own heart? where you've got to aerate the soil of your heart and allow God access to the places that nobody else can see. And you've got to expose it. You've got to expose it. I would, I would challenge you to this. Introduce prayer to your anxiety. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I know there are a lot of people in here who you struggle with anxious thoughts, fear, depression, anxiety. You struggle with it. And what the enemy wants you to think is that that's the way that you're always going to be. But all you got to do is introduce some prayer to that. And it's like aerating your soil. It's poking holes in places that you never could have reached. I remember I did this. I don't even know what it's called. It's a little foot aerator. And what you do is you, it's got these four spikes. And you put your foot in the little hook. 
and you just walk all over your lawn, and you just stab it in there. And I remember my grass was getting brown, and I couldn't get it to green. And so my neighbor, he's like, hey, all you got to do is get one of these. Check it out. So he lends me his. I eventually would go and buy one. And I just walked over. I just looked like an idiot, just, you know, just walking around my lawn. It took about an hour to get through the whole thing. And I just go. My back ached the next day. But I remember as I'm doing this, I'm stabbing it in there. And the, the, the fork, the pieces are about, about this long, and it's getting real deep into there. I'm just stabbing it in there. And so then I watered it, and I fertilized it, and planted some seeds where I needed to, and, and put some lawn soil over the top of parts that I needed to. And I remember it wasn't long before the grass started to grow up green. What was brown and dead became alive. And God wants to bring what's dead in your life to life. God, you see what's dead. God says, I see something that can be alive. If you just will aerate the soil of your heart, if you would just let, allow me access into the deep places, you think your struggle is too dark. I'm just saying it's deep, and you need to allow me deep access to it. I can get to it. I can get some water to it. I can get some air to it. And I, wa I want you to see. You can watch as my life begins to spring out of you. And God says, won't I do it? God is saying to you, won't he do it? Can't he do it? Can God work in your life? Yes, he can, but you've got to give him access. Three of you are hearing me. Introduce worship to your problem. Introduce the word to your doubt. Introduce community to your loneliness. Remove. Remove your anxiety. And it's so, the opportunities, but we've got to allow God access to the deep places. And three, as I invite the band to come forward, you've got to remove the stuff that kills. Last year, Cole, Cole Thomas and I were uh, pulling weeds. And uh, he came over, came over to my house, and uh, the, the payment was Chick-fil-A. And so we're there for several hours in the morning, early in the morning, and uh, I remember I, the, the lawn, the, my backyard had looked bad, okay? So track with me just for one more minute. The back of my yard, the, all of the, the outlying parts were, were bark, and then it was full of weeds everywhere. And it just looked really bad. It was really, it was just starting to overgrow. And so Cole and I go back there. And just over the period of a few hours, we weeded the whole yard. And he, he edged it a little bit. My yard was looking good, man, let me tell you. It was looking good. And so I, 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 I'm back in this last little place right around the side of my house next to the garden. And uh, if you were to walk out my back door, you just turn to the left, and it's right around that corner. It's this big area. There's this big bush. And that was the worst place. But I was ready to go to Chick-fil-A, and I was tired. I was ready to go to Chick-fil-A. I'm tired. Cole's just about done. So I went and grabbed my shovel. And I, I dug into the weeds. And I'm not joking you. I literally just made this line, and I started one shovel at a time. I would dig in there, and I would flip it upside down. I didn't pull the weeds. I just hid them. And so I literally dig it, flip it upside down, dig it next one, flip it upside down. Cleared the whole area, and then I just kind of poked all of it so it looked smooth. And Cole came back there, and he's like, wow, Taylor, you are the best weed puller I've ever seen. 
Maybe he didn't say that, but it looked good. And Noel was like, wow, Taylor, thanks for all your hard work. The lawn looks great. But deep down, I knew I wasn't really uprooting anything. I was just hiding it. And as you experienced, we had one of the worst winters we've ever had on record. So much snow and all this kind of stuff. And a harsh winter can kill some growth, but it can also multiply the growth of the things that you don't want to grow. So I start getting all these weeds over the summer. And up until, up until this last week, where I've got weeds in my front yard that all of a sudden are up to here. I mean, they're waist level. And in my backyard, even worse, you couldn't see the bark. It was inundated, it was covered, and saturated with weeds everywhere. To the point where I finally said, enough is enough. we got to get these out of here. And so it took two days, and somebody else doing 99.9% of the work to really pull these up from the root to get rid of the weeds that were sucking the life out of my backyard. And you go into my backyard now, it's a beautiful sight. The grass is green, the bark is seen, and it's amazing. And I want to tell you here tonight that God wants your, the backyard of your life. He wants the garden of your life to be one that is fertile, that sees fruit, that sees green grass, that is beautifully landscaped. But you've got to be willing to allow him to uproot the weeds. Some of you got some weeds that are killing you. Some of you, your weed is weed. I don't care if it's legal. It's stupid. It's making you stupid. But some of you, it's a substance. Some of you, it's a relationship. Some of you, it's your attitudes. And what you're doing is you're keeping the weeds in there, and you think that all I've got to do is cover it with some dirt. But all of that does is accelerates the growth of the weed and strengthen its roots. And until you are willing to allow God to uproot from the inside what has been buried in you, what has always been, you will never see the fruit in your life that you want to see. I'm not here to tell you that you have to. I'm not here to tell you that God is mad at you. I'm not here to tell you that when he sees the weeds, he's angry. On the contrary, you meet some people in this life, they're crazy. Like this guy who came to my house this weekend, he's like, I got to tell you, Taylor, I live to pull weeds. If you have any friends who need weeds pulled, it is therapeutic for me. And what I want to tell you tonight prophetically is that it is therapeutic for God to get into the business of your life and uproot what you think is so difficult. But God says, I'm up for the challenge. I want to take what is broken and redeem it and make it brand new and start you fresh and give you a new hope and a new purpose. He says, I have it for you. I want it for you. But you've got to let me in. God says he'll do it. But you've got to allow him to get into your dirt, to get into your life. But it begins with recognizing. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what? My soil is hard. The ground that is my life is shut off to the things of God. God is not here to condemn you. God is not here to resent you. God is not here to point your fing- the, His finger at you. God is not here to say you should have, could have, and would have, but you didn't. He's not here to do that. He's here to say, I'm ready to go to work if you'll just allow me. He's here to say, I'm ready to go to work. Some of you, you've been sitting here for years. You've been sitting, and God is saying, I'm knocking at your door. Don't harden your heart. The people who've gone before you did it, and look what it took. Look what it did to them. And he's saying, if you'll just let me, I will do a deep work in your life. You know, even as we're talking, and we're going to end in worship in just a moment, but as we're talking, I was reminded that, you know, sometimes it's awkward and it takes some front end work and it's difficult. And I'm not going to have everyone stand, but with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you would say tonight, you know what? The soil of my life is calloused. It is worn down. And God is saying, if you'll come up, if you'll invite me to, I will till the soil of your life, of your heart. Scripture says this, listen. That what Jesus will do is take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. What was once broken is healed. What was once dead can become alive. What was once far, God brings near. And God is here to tell you, if you will say yes, I will come in and I will do what only I can do.